Hi guys, and welcome to the very first episode of Getting the Right People in the Room, the podcast for empowerment people who are looking to create or indeed expand and grow their businesses. My name is Peter Burnett. I'm the Chief Instructor here at Oxford Pool Academy, and I'd like to welcome you to the first episode, which is all about My Business Needs a Blueprint to Succeed. So just to give you a little bit of background, um, we've been helping empowerment companies now for um, about 20 years. We've worked with um, blue chips in terms of, you know, kind of helping companies grow from the very, very first um, outing up to eight figures and having hundreds of people scattered across the globe. And we've also worked with a large number of single seat organizations. And we've probably spent about 40 million pounds in terms of budget with these folks over the years in terms of kind of like making sure that they've got the right the right people in the room. And so what we'd like to do in this podcast is basically share some of these tips with you. Um, the main focus of this is going to be for people who are running a smaller organization. So if you are somebody who is just starting up or you are running your own business, then this is then you're in the right place. So we're here to give you um, to fill in the blanks, if you like, in terms of your business knowledge. Because one of the things that we found is that with a lot of folks, they have come into the empowerment game. Um, a lot of them join it quite late in life. It's some, with For many, many people, it's actually a career change. Uh, not many people go into the empowerment industry um, straight out of, you know, straight out of school. And in, in our opinion, that's actually quite a good thing. Because with a lot of this stuff, the experience and the life lessons and the maturity that our previous careers have given us is very, very valuable in able to, um, in allowing us to empathize with and understand the people that we're dealing with. So whether you're a coach, a therapist, or a consultant, having that experience allows you to then relate to this person a lot better. And it also gives them the trust in you that you are somebody who knows what you're talking about. So that is all well and good. The downside of that is that a lot of people are coming into the empowerment business and they've whilst they may have worked in industries or businesses before in a variety of different roles, very few of them have come from a business background. And what that means is that you end up having gaps in your knowledge, which is why we've kind of chosen the the format for these podcast titles. Um, If you are of the right age, you may remember the, uh, the game show Blankety Blank, where contestants were given a sentence and there was a blank missing and then a variety of interesting and often risque answers were given as to what that mo- what that word might be. Um, and just in the same way, our job here is to help you fill in any of the gaps in terms of your business knowledge so that you can basically get the right people in the room as fast as possible using the least amount of work as possible. And the reason why we're saying that is because um, most of us got into the empowerment industry because we want to... Um, we want to achieve transformation. We want to help people change. We want to help people have better lives. If you're a therapist, that might mean that you're helping people achieve more, um, feel less pain. You might be helping them to repair relationships, to look forward to a brighter future. Um, with trainers and consultants, um, a lot of the time we're dealing slightly more with skill sets rather than mindsets. So we're helping people go beyond their current limitations, their current boundaries. We're helping them to achieve greater levels of success than they would be able to achieve without our input. But regardless of what it is that you're doing, the aim here is that you want to be spending as much of your time doing that stuff, working with the people in the room. 
And so what we're looking to do here is to basically allow you to kind of build a business around you that supports getting the right people in the room. Hence the name of the podcast. Okay, so the first thing that we're going to look at here is we're going to look at the blueprints because what we want to do is, um, as Stephen Covey so eloquently said, you want to begin with the end in mind. And so if we have a picture of what a good business looks like, then we can make sure that everything that we do aligns to that image, if that makes sense. Now, we're using a lot of visual words here, um, which is slightly unusual given the fact that the podcast is, a, is an audio medium. Um, but what we got, the thing about this is we, if you go to the, the Otterspool Academy website um, at otterspoolacademy.com, you will be able to see a visualization of this blueprint and that will hopefully kind of help you fix it in your mind in terms of a picture of what it looks like. But with this, you don't necessarily need to be able to visualize it. In fact, my advice in terms of these podcasts is to basically listen to them and absorb what is being said. And you almost don't have to listen with your conscious brain. Um, there's quite a few um, audiobooks or other bits, pieces of podcasts that I listen to. And what I will actually do is I'll put them on in the background. And the reason why I do that is because, A, you know, if I'm working alone, if I don't happen to be with my team, if I'm just doing something on my own, then it kind of gives me some nice background noise. Um, but the other thing about it is what it then do is it will then go into your subconscious. And if I've chosen well, which I try to do, if I've chosen my books well, then what I'll do is I'll find that my capabilities and my abilities and my mindset is being altered in the background. So the key thing I'd say with these is feel free to listen to these podcasts as often as you want, but you don't necessarily need to listen to them with your active mind, if that makes sense. Because when we come away from a course or, or any, any um, system of learning, the most important thing is not necessarily the, um, the books and the paperwork and the other bits and pieces which are on our shelves, although that, that can be a very, very useful reference. And when, when, when we teach people at the academy, in fact, there's a free essentials um, tutorial um, on the site, which um, basically takes you through a lot of the stuff that we're going to be covering here and also give you gives you the blueprint so that you can basically fill stuff out so that by the time you finish that course, you've actually got your own notes, which you can then start to refer to. So that forms the heart, if you like, of your business's knowledge about what it is and what it does. But with all that said, the most important thing is that your subconscious starts to look at the world through this lens and that can be done on here with this audio format. So what I want to do now is I want to move on and start to have a chat about the blueprint itself. So the blueprint is basically a framework. So if you if you think of things like um, Stephen Covey's um, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, then what you've got is basically a little diagram, but within that diagram is contained the basics and the essence of what Stephen is trying to convey. And the same is true here of the blueprint um, for a, a successful empowerment business. So what we've got is we've got a model, if you like. So if any of you guys are NLP trained, you'd be very, very familiar with models. So this is a model or a lens that allows us to look at our business and understand the key moving parts of it. So the first thing I want you to do is I want you to do a visual exercise. And I want you to imagine an inverted triangle. So if you live in the UK, it's, it's basically a stop sign. Okay, so a triangle with um, kind of the, the long flat edge at the top. And on the top, I want you to envision the word brand. 
because the first step that we want to take in our blueprint is basically to establish our brand model. Now, a brand model is basically our business identity, as in who we are, our customer identity, as in who we serve, and then we've basically got our promise or offer. So we've got who we are, who our customers are, and then what it is that we do. Now, the point about it is that here I want to abstract it from the mechanics of how we deliver, if that makes sense. So basically what we're doing is we're saying in terms of the promise, if you're a therapist, then you're not promising to deliver a certain number of sessions. What your offer is is to help people escape from pain. If you're a consultant, it's not about the mechanics of what you're doing. It's not about the workshops that you're running. It's the change that you help so that when you're done, this is true, if that makes sense. So you can think of your offer as, when we're done, this will be your new world. And the reason why we abstract that is because with a lot of people, they get very, very tied into their delivery mechanism. They get very tied into, this is how we do things. And there's two dangers with that. The first one of which is, it means that if we are very um, tied into kind of how we actually make that change, it means that we will start to get attached to it and we won't necessarily be looking at it for in terms of improvements um, or, you know, sea changes or evolutions in the business. And the other thing about it is that when we describe it to people, we describe it in terms of what we're doing and not what, what, not what we're allowing them to achieve, if that makes sense. So one of the, the, the classic models that is used in these cases um, and this came from Chet Holmes, who was Tony uh, Robbins' business partner. So if you've ever seen um, their business mastery program, this is the kind of stuff that they were talking about. Um, and they gave the example of Blockbuster. And Blockbuster, obviously, as most of you um, on this podcast um, will probably remember, um, was a chain of video rental stores. Okay, So they had VHS cassettes. Um, I think they had kind of v um, DVDs moving forward as well. Blockbuster isn't around anymore. And one of the reasons why was because their business model was attached to them renting physical objects. Rather than, had they look at their brand and said, right, okay, in terms of our identity, customer identity, and then the offer or the promise that we have, what we help that person to do, you then said, right, we are basically a film supplier. And our customer is somebody who wants to watch a film, but they don't necessarily want to watch it in a cinema. So the customer is somebody who wants to watch what they want when they want. And that is our offer. So when Netflix and all the rest of it, because Blockbuster had the opportunity to buy Netflix um, for about 50 million, I believe. And um, Blockbuster said no. Now, there were a couple of factors in that. Obviously, the you know internet streaming and all the rest of it was in, in its infancy. So they weren't quite sure whether it was a flash in the pan or not. Just in the same way as personal computers when they first developed in, in the 1980s. A lot of people say, it'll never last. You know, we're not going to have computers. You know, it's a bit of a fad. Having said that, they didn't take the time to look at that and then say, okay, well, this is something that is in line with our brand. Because in terms of helping people watch what they want, when they want, then the ability for them to just literally click a button and then start downloading this film without having to go to stores or all the rest of it, that would very much be something that we would look to do. So if it can work, we would want to be the ones to make it work. But instead, they were wedded to their model of having lots of retail locations um, scattered about. And often, and we've seen this with a lot of companies, what companies will do is they will refuse to innovate 
because they're worried about it undercutting their existing market. And of course, what then happens is other people will come along and they will do something differently or they will do something better. And then your market's gone anyway. And that's what I'm saying at the top. So going back to our visual model, at the top of this diagram, we've got our brand and we want our brands to be as static as possible. Okay, so what we do what we help these people to achieve, we don't necessarily want that to change too much, and here's why. Because acquiring customers and building your customer bases is one of the most time-consuming and expensive exercises that you're going to have throughout your business. So what we want to be able to do is to have that relationship, because what you're basically doing, when, when you say customer base, a customer base is more than the list. The customer, um, Your customer base is the feelings and attitudes of the people on that list towards you. Back in the days when email marketing was king, we saw a lot of people, you know, trying to swap lists or steal lists and all the rest of it because they said, you know, the money's in the list. And the truth is that the money isn't in the list. The money is in your relationship with the people on that list. So if you had a business and you swiped someone else's email list and you started firing it out, there's a very good chance that all you're going to do is you're going to get your, your sender blocked. Because people said, I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you offer. I don't trust you yet. So it's almost like, um, you know, putting into human terms, if you stole someone else's little black book of, you know, kind of like former girlfriends, that doesn't mean that you can then just wander up to their front door with a bottle of champagne in one hand and a big smile on your face um, and expect to have a lovely evening because the relationship isn't there. And that's what I'm saying. When we're looking at our brand in terms of who we are, what a customer is, and what our promise is, that is expressed at a high level, and it's about the transformation that we help them to achieve, and that should remain as constant as possible. Okay? So I hope that makes sense. Like I say, if if you're not quite sure what we mean by that, then feel free to pop over to ottispoolacademy.com. Um, on the front page, there's a big, big link to the blueprint, and you can click on it, and um, it'll show you. Now, moving from our line at the top, what we're now going to do is look at the line which is on the right-hand side. Okay, so this is the right-hand diagonal going going down to the point at the bottom, if you like. So the right-hand side, right-hand side of the stop sign. And this is where we now get into the business model. So we've got a brand model, which is these are the people that we help, and this is kind of what we what we help them to achieve, what we help them to do, have, or be. So they either want more of something or less of something in many cases. And the business model is how we do it. And I want you to think of the business model as kind of like a product range. Because what happens with a lot of people, especially in the empowerment industry, is they um, end up having a one-size-fits-all. Um, and a lot of the time what they'll do is they'll say they'll, they'll run sessions. A lot of the time these are, these are one-to-one. And that then basically means that your ability to grow your business is scaled, is basically capped by the amount of hours that you are prepared to work, if that makes sense. What it also then means is if we have um, something which is a one-size-fits-all product, and when we're talking about the business model, this is basically how we are, this is now the delivery, this is kind of how we're doing it, then what it basically means is that we're either leaving money on the table because there are people that we are working with who would pay us more if we had more to offer, or we're leaving customers on the table because there are people out there who have a little bit less of a budget and appetite than our current model would demand, but would still pay us slightly less if there was something there. And sometimes it's not just about the money, it's also about trust. 
You know, if you then said, right, okay, I'm going to work with you one-to-one and it's going to cost X thousand, they might not trust you enough at that point. What they might then do is go on, say, slightly um, one-to-many courses, develop that relationship with you and say, right, now I want to work with you one-to-one. I've seen you, I know you, I trust you, I know what you can do for me, and now I want to take this relationship to the next level. So what we want to be able to do in our business model is basically structure it so that we can cater for a wide range of um, budgets and appetites. That then means that people can ascend through that um, product structure. And what we what we tend to do, and if you go on the um, the diagram on osipolacademy.com, uh, you will see that uh, we structure it into freemium, which is basically either, either free or very, very, very low cost. Um, and that's the kind of stuff where you can service 10,000 people almost as easily as you can uh, one. You then got economy, which is like the lower end, so that tends to be one to many, um, certainly in the empowerment world. Um, you then got um, premium, which is one to a few, and then you've got luxury, which is one to many. And you could almost think of it like a, like a range of cars. If you look at Ford or Volkswagen or Audi or any, any of these guys, what they will do is they will have um, a, a wider range of vehicles because they know that not everybody has the same appetite and the same budget. So you can buy a small, cheap one. You can buy a big, fancy one, flashy one with all the leather bucket seats and more buttons in it to, to get to the moon. But by having that structure, that means that we are best able to satisfy as many customers as possible for the maximum of the budget that they have available. Also, with, and like I said, this podcast is designed to people who are running a slightly smaller business. It then means that, because with a lot of the things that you're doing one-to-many, that then allows you to scale your time. And it's interesting because when we've met, when we've met and worked with a lot of people over the last 20 years, a lot of the time they think, well, that sounds really good, but I, I can't really do this other than a one-to-one. And the answer is normally, mm, actually, yes, you can. Because there are ways and means of structuring the kind of stuff that you do so that a lot of people can take advantage of um, lower levels or kind of like a, a light version, if you like, of that knowledge. And even if the worst case scenario is that then they go, okay, I like this, I need more, I'm now going to work with you one-on-one, then A, they've already paid for themselves from a marketing point of view, and B, they're actually coming into your process with a little bit more knowledge than they would do anyway. Okay? So it is worth thinking about. Now, Having established our brand model, so that's basically who we serve, um, who we are, and what the offer is that we give, and now we've had a quick look at kind of having the right range of um, service levels so that we can satisfy a wide range of budgets and appetites. The last side of the triangle, which is if you're looking at this uh, this stop sign, it's the one on the left, so kind of like going from top left down, down to the point at the bottom. I want you to think of this as this is what we call the um, the conversion model. And this is basically our customer railway, okay? Because with a lot of people, what they do is they will try to sell straight off the bat. Now, if they haven't done the work um, on the other two sides, so they haven't worked out actually what is the customer looking for? What What is it that I'm actually delivering here? What is the nuts and bolts of the benefit that this person will get from working with me in terms that they would explain it as, okay? So how would they describe it? Because when, we, when we're working with customers, what we want to do is we want to meet them at their problem. So we describe their problem the same way that um, we would, um, that they would. They would describe it to a friend in a pub. 
Yeah. So one of the best ways to do it is I sit down and said, right, in terms of your ideal customer, this is one of the things that we we do. Um, it's actually something that we have on our essentials course when we're doing the customer profile. You say if you're basically sat in a pub and you heard your, you know, your prospective client, you know, over a beer on a Friday night talking to a friend of theirs, and they said, Ah, you know what? I wish dot 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 dot. How would they describe it? So what would they complain about? And what they say, oh, if only dot, dot, dot. Because it's using it in that terms, the offer in those terms, that's kind of what will help us. And like I said, that's why we look at the brand model, we look at then the, the business model. And if we haven't done that, when we then go to um, advertise, then we start to talk our language, not theirs. So our offer is based on, hi, we can do this. And it's most adverts that you see are based around the delivery mechanism. Only a few people get it right in terms of saying, this is what we're going to help you to do. And, you know, kind of here's the first step on that journey. Because then people associate the what's in it for me. And they're not, we're not worried about the mechanics. Yeah, if you imagine if you offered a, a taxi service, does the person really care what type of vehicle it is that gets them from A to B? They might. You know, they might, they might be one of those people who says, no, I need a Mercedes S-Class. You know, the hell with your um, Toyota Corolla. But for a lot of people, the important thing is that they get to where they want to be. And so they're not, not, not necessarily as interested in the, the methodology as they are in getting there. So that's the, that's the thing that we need to be able to communicate to these guys, which brings us back to the conversion journey. And like I so said, you can think of this as a railway. And it's a railway that runs from, I don't know who you are, through to, I love you, I have bought your products, and I rave about you to all my friends. Okay, so those are the two ends of the railway. And there are a number of stops along those lines. There is a book called The Human Animal, which basically describes human relationships. And what it says is that if you're going to have a relationship with somebody, there are a series of set um, milestones, if you like, that you need to pass through. And if you jump over those milestones, then you come across as weird. So, for instance, if you walked up to somebody in a bar and started stroking their hair, we all know that that would be, you know, a bit odd. Having said that, if you've already passed through the, you know, kind of the, the knowledge, the introduction, the first smile, you know, the first touch and all the rest of it, then you could get to that stage within the same evening. You know, you're just getting on like an absolute house on fire. You really like each other. You know, kind of you just reach across and you stroke them and they kind of smile at you and kind of going, well, oh, that's nice. Okay, so but the point about it is that you can't do that right at the first because you haven't established that relationship. You haven't taken the railway. You basically try to jump the train um, a few stops up the line. So here are the steps which we have on the um, on our conversion model, on our, on our railway from I don't know who you are to I love what you do and I tell my friends about you. So the first one is attract and engage, and that's basically where we show up on people's radars. Okay, so that's what a lot of fake, um, social media is looking to do. So this is basically whereby when we show up, we need to make sure that we're resonating with their problem. Because the entire point of this journey is to position ourselves as a friendly and trusted expert that they want to work with. So, and again, when we work on the customer um, uh, the customer profile, one of the things that we're then looking to do is to make sure that we know more about um, the customer's problem than they do. And that's actually something which we're going to be covering in our next podcast, which is called The Problem River, which is a really useful visual metaphor 
um, for being able to understand exactly what's going on in the customer's world. So if you're interested in that, then join us for the next episode because the problem river is where we basically cover how to work out what the customer's world looks like. But we always refer to that world when we're talking to people. So we go from um, attract and engage, which is where we basically show up. We position ourselves so, you know, we look like the sort of person. Just in the same way as, you know, if you want to attract somebody, you want to look like the sort of person that they would be going out with. So the next step after that, once they've started to notice us and once they've started to kind of listen to what it is that we have today, I have to say, is subscribing position. And that, from a human analogy, is basically getting their telephone number. Okay, so because what we're then doing is before you've got someone's telephone number or email address or <clears throat> Twitter handle, or, you know, whatever the kids do these days, it would be it would rely on you being, excuse me, <clears throat> it would rely on you being in the right place at the right time in order to meet this person. As soon as we then start to get some sort of um, communication established whereby we've got an email address or we've got them, you know, on Facebook pages, all the rest of it, then we can start to, com- to communicate them under our own steam and at a cadence that suits both us and the customer. So what we then do is we then basically start sending uh, messages through to warm them up, to bring them up to buying buying temperature, as we say in the trade. And we're also positioning. So by the time they got to the end of this, they should, the customer should be thinking, well, I like this person. They certainly know a hell of a lot about um, what it is that I'm you know, I'm facing all the challenges um, that I'm going through, and I resonate with them. You know, I think this is this. I think this is actually somebody who could help me, because what that then does is that neatly roll, rolls us onto the third railway station on the line, which is your test drive, and that's basically whereby you've got something whereby they can try your services. Okay, so it's like a teaser session. It's like it's the equivalent of going to Sainsbury's and having you know those little cubes of cheese on a cocktail stick they say try this and you go mm, that's nice obviously assuming you're not lactose intolerant and you go yeah i really like that and they say well it's available at the back of the store and it's on offer today and so of course you go wandering up the aisle and um and go and get yourself some so the test drive is important because what it then and it doesn't need to be something that they pay for there needs to be a small amount of time from them a small amount of effort either in terms of time or money but the the test drive is is from a human equivalent. It's like the first date, okay? Because the first date, if you like, is a test drive. The first date answer the question: What would it be like if we were going out together? Would it be awkward and painful, or would it actually be really nice? Would we feel like you know, kind of like happy and contented and delighted and joyful and all the rest of it? If it's the latter, we want more. If it's the first, we don't. So the test drive is important because what it then does is basically um, opens the customer's appetite saying, yes, now I I want to do more of this. I've had my taster. I like this. Let's move forward. And that will then move them onto the fourth station on the railway line, which is basically sell and upsell. So what we then do there is we take them from whatever teaser session they've had. And then if we're smart about it, what we'll also have done is gathered information about them along the way because we're not just positioning ourselves, we're also um, finding out a little bit more about them. And that then allows us to intelligently route them to one of the service levels which we defined on the other side of our triangle. Okay? So if trust is an issue, they're not quite there yet, then we basically route them to something uh, maybe slightly lower cost. If they have a lot of budget, and a lot of desire, and they like us, then we can route them straight through to um, the higher echelons. 
And then the last stage on this um, journey is what we call, um, we've got resell and refer. So resell is basically where we sell them a second glass. And again, one of the problems that people have when they only have a one-size-fits-all product is that once you then sold, them, sold that to them, then sometimes it's difficult to sell them something else. And what people find is that they'll then just end up, um, you know, if they're naughty, they will just end up extending the, um, you know, the, the process that they've got. So rather than helping the customer reach the desired outcome um, in a short space of time, what they'll then do is basically say, well, I'm getting paid for my time, so I'm just going to make it last longer. An example here would be a driving instructor. If you've got a naughty driving instructor, they'll be going, mm, yeah, I don't think you're quite ready to pass your test yet uh, for weeks and weeks and weeks on end because they're getting paid for lessons. And then one, one thing that will happen, either the student will just go, actually, you know what, I think I can drive, and I'm, I'm starting to suspect that you're just padding this out. Um, or the they'll basically reach reach the end of their test, but when somebody else says, oh, who did you learn with? You say, I'll learn with Bob, but don't bother. Do not bother going with Bob because it just took took forever. So not only are you kind of like on a downside with that existing customer, you're also going to spread bad word of mouth, which we don't want. What that um, driving instructor could do is have an advanced driving course. We say, right, okay, so you pass, um, you know, we're going to get you to your test. That's good. Um, by the way, there are lots of techniques. So when you do an advanced driving course, if any of you ever done it, you'll know this. You do things like skid pans and other bits of pieces. So there's a lot of really, really useful techniques um, life-saving techniques, especially if you've got not just you in the car, but someone you really care about. And so if you've got somebody who's learning to drive and you say, okay, so we're going to get you past your test, what I then suggest we do is to put you through the advanced driving test because it lowers the cost of your insurance, which it does. If you've got an advanced driving test, they'll, you'll um, get lower, lower insurance rates. It'll keep you safe in the form of an accident. So what you then do is you have something else that you can then resell and refer them into. And then in terms of um, the last section, so we've got resell and then we've got refer, this is where we then um, look to leverage the relationship, because it's all about the relationship. We look to leverage the relationship that we have with customers um, so that we can then basically say, right, given, the fact, given who this customer is, what other companies out there are there that could, um, in a complementary way, so we're obviously not going to route them to competitors, but in a complementary way, could their services be of use to my customer? And then how can I basically arrange some sort of intro and then get some sort of commission for um, for achieving that? And there are many, many ways of doing that. Just a random example is if you look at gyms, um, you've got gyms and you've got healthy eating outlets. You'll often see, um, you know, the gym will, may, they, may then partner up with the healthy eating outlet so that when you go to the gym, you see a coupon for the healthy eating outlet. When you go to the healthy healthy eating outlet, you see a coupon for the gym because those two companies quite rightly assume if you've got somebody who's looking, wants to look after themselves in the gym, they probably want to eat healthy. Equally, if they eat healthily, then there's a very good chance that they won't be wanting to look after their body. So therefore a gym is, so it's that sort of thing. It's not just flogging your list to all and sundry. It's working out whereby you can um, have an intelligent partner offer that is very much in line with the, tr the sort of transformation, the sort of stuff that you have been doing with these folks over the time. Okay, so we've reached the end of our first podcast here. And just to recap what it is that we've learned, we've looked at the brand model. So we have looked at our business identity, we've looked at our customer identity and the offer. And um, also, like I say, the offer is about what we help them to do rather than how we help them do it. 
We've then looked at our business model, which is on the right-hand side of this, this um, inverted triangle, which is basically our spread of products and services and how it each, by, by having that spread, we can cater for a wider range of budgets and appetites. And then on the other, on the left-hand side of the inverted triangle, we've looked at the customer railway. So how do we take people and move them through this relationship where they start to know us, they start to see us as a trusted expert, and then they start to buy and buy again. Okay, so I hope that helps. Um, if this, if you've enjoyed this, then please um, do give us a review because it, it helps us. And um, also you can go over to otterspoolacademy.com and then you can actually see this, this wonderful blueprint that you've now heard so much about. Uh, you can see it um, live and in glorious colour. And again, we have a, um, another explainer video where we actually kind of move the mouse over the, over the various bits and pieces as well. But I hope that's been of use to you. So please um, do feel free. Um, bear. I'm going to start that again. I shall put my teeth in. Please do feel free to like and subscribe um, to our podcast and uh, join us for the next time where we will be looking at the Problem River. So until then, um, take a wander over to ospoolacademy.com. So we've not only got the blueprint, we've also got the essentials course that we have touched on here. And it's all free because, you know, why wouldn't we? If we're teaching this stuff, then we should probably do it as well. And we do. And Otters Pool Academy is the place that you can see it. So thank you very much indeed for your time today. I hope this has been of use and I look forward to seeing you on episode two. In the meantime, take care and have a great day ahead.